This is Rugger Matrix episode 147, Maximum Exposure. Yes, hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix International, the world's most quoted rugby podcast, coming to you via video and audio these days. I'm your host, Juro Sen. I'm not joined in a moment by Mark Cashman. I seem to think, though, as we start the show, but that doesn't happen. And who cares? I'm joined by Morgan Turanui from Paris, the lowdown on the Heineken Cup, the Amlin Challenge Cup, and everything else happening in the Northern Hemisphere. Also, Adam Fryer, the Melbourne Rebels hooker. Big game for them this weekend against the Bulls. We chat to him about a whole raft of things to do with rugby. On Rugger Matrix 147, of course, brought to you by Strike, Australia's leading supplier of hands-free Bluetooth car kits, reversing cameras, sat-nav devices, anything your heart would desire. Go there now, strike.com.au, and you will get 10% off if you enter the code RUGGERMATRIX. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 147 of Rugger Matrix International. This episode's uh, going around the globe, and first of all, it's just me on my lonesome Mark Cashman joining me shortly after he wakes up and a special guest later on as well. But it's time to go to the north first. We'll talk Super Rugby later and a lot of stuff to talk about in terms of recruitment and the Will Genia uh, controversial scenario between the Western Force and the Queensland Reds. But let's uh, say good day to a good friend of ours from the mighty Randwick Club, now with Start Francais, and it's none other than Morgan Turanui. G'day, Morgs. G'day, mate. How are you? Good to speak to you. Thanks for your time, mate. And uh, commiserations, a tight game in the Amlin Challenge semi-final against Toulon. And that damn Johnny Wilkinson's done it again. But uh, I, I think you're pretty happy with the result anyway. Yeah, not so much the result, obviously. It's never good to lose a semi-final. But we were quite happy with how we played. Uh, it's funny, the drop goal that Johnny kicked at the end was almost a carbon copy. If you were there at Homebush in 2003, he just dropped back into the pocket and he did miss. There was a few guys coming to charge it down, but no one got near him. And we're actually lucky he missed a couple. He'd had a couple of chances to, to win the game for them a few minutes before and he missed a couple because it was absolutely blowing a gale down there at Toulon. We had to go away and play that semi-final. So we, we, we played a sort of a mixed team. We left uh, some people like Contempomi and Pascal Pape. Dimitri Sarzuski, we left him out of the team and sent sort of a mixed team down and we actually played quite well but um, obviously not good enough and Toulon will go on to play Biarritz in the final in London in a couple of weeks time. Yeah, Biarritz uh, 19-0, your score in the end was 32-29 Morgan, uh, you managed to uh, perform well yourself but in some ways maybe a little hollow Uh, the management of this competition uh, with the top 14 as well is incredibly hard for you guys to do it. So I guess given the fact you have to do that, it's always a pleasure to get to the playoffs of any competition. Yeah, it was a shame. We uh, we were undefeated in the pool stages and we you know we pretty much got maximum points in every game and, and had a good win against Exeter in the, in the quarterfinal. I think as we've talked about before, uh, juggling uh, your player fatigue levels across those two competitions is hard. And, and Michael had to decide we have a game this weekend at Stade de France against Racing Metro. They're the team sitting in front of us on the table, and, and in essence, the, the team that wins this, uh, the team that wins this match this weekend, jumps the other team. And if you win your last round, you're in the final. So it's it really is pretty much a, a final, an elimination final almost for us. If we lose this weekend against Racing, we're out of the finals race unless something you know mathematically uh, rare happens. So I think Michael made the decision that a few of our guys needed some rest. We've had a, a very similar starting 15 for the last four to five weeks and, and you know we had to find a week to give them a rest. Unfortunately, it coincided with the, with the semi-final, but that's the decision we've made and hopefully uh, you know we can make sure it counts this weekend. Difficult decision, isn't it, Morgan? Because uh, you can sort of uh, push in both competitions a little bit, but you could end up with nothing in the end. So this is a really difficult time for the head coach to make some decisions about selections and where the team goes along. As a player, you you obviously um, are aware of this in, in, in the preparation for what the weekend's competition you have in front of you, you need to do. Yeah, I think as a player it's much simpler. If you're in the team, you play as well as you can. It's, it's up to coach to pull the strings in the background. 
Um, you know, it's, it is very hard. There's only a couple of teams that can afford to go really hard in both competitions. In France, that's Toulouse and Claremont. They are, they're the kinds of teams that have internationals on the bench week in, week out. They have a big 35, 40-man squad, and that, that takes a budget of over 20 million euros over here. So you need to have deep pockets to be able to do that. Um, you know, we're, we're not quite at that level. Toulon are, you know, the team that are bridging the gap in terms of building a really big squad. They've been very aggressive in the transfer window, signed some big international names. So they'll, they'll go very deep into Heineken and the championship next year as well. It's been a couple of weeks since we spoke to you, Morgan, and uh, the uh, effort of George Smith since he's been there. We all know he's a great player. How's he been going? I've been disappointed, to be honest. <laughs> uh, he hasn't scored many tries. I actually saw him miss a tackle on the weekend. I haven't seen that in about five years. No, he's been good. He's, uh, you, know, you know exactly what he would be playing like without even watching the video. He actually, I'm not sure if, if many people back in Australia would have seen it, but he actually played next to me in the centres on the weekend. Uh, we played. Uh, we did something a bit strange. We, we played a young 20-year-old French fly half named Jules Plisson. And George played inside centre and I played outside centre. And we had a young, you know, 22-year-old fullback, Hugo Bonneville, played 15. It was his first starting game in the top flight team all year. So we sort of had a, a mixing back line. We had Paul Sackey on one wing. So we still had some experience out there and some good players. And George played inside centre and he actually played really well. He, uh, it's funny, every time he was in a tackle, obviously starting in the midfield, any time he was over the ball, he had that split-second advantage from, from the back row to get there. And, and, you know, if he's over the ball before anyone else, you know he's never going to get moved. So we got a couple of nice penalties out of it. And uh, I always talked to him about how he spends all his time in the midfield during the games anyway, so it wasn't too much of a stretch for him, but he played really well. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's played in the centres a fair while in his career. Yeah, he should put, he should put 12 and a half on his back, not seven. <laughs> well, speak, uh, I think he was... Yeah. Yep, I think he was pretty happy because he thinks he can get one or two more years out of Beaver in Japan if he can show that he can play inside centre as well. So he's pretty happy. Uh, he's done well. Well, Morgan, what about uh, Johnny Wilkinson? Um, you know, there's talk about him going from hero to zero to hero in, in one game, and uh, he's certainly done the job. Uh, still a lethal weapon at this level? Oh, he's boot. You know, he's, still, he's still unmatched. You know, it was a really tough breeze going across the field, and he kicked quite well. He, he, both in general play to get us in our own half and then any time we infringed they really converted it into points quite well we were quite lucky that he missed a couple um, so you know it, they rely very much on him to, <clears throat> to to accumulate points for them too long probably too much so considering the amount of cattle they have like Matt Guido playing at 12 next to him didn't get much opportunity in the game that happens sometimes sometimes a style of football too long play uh, doesn't give him much chance in the midfield. Their the back three gets some chance on turnover and, and, and counter-attack. But obviously Johnny's got a, a role to play there and he, he likes to play for field position and, and kick goals, which is what he's there for. He does it better than anyone in the business. But um, it's funny, the best games I think Gitz has, pl has played while he's been here has been when Johnny's been rested and Gitz has played 10. He's been brilliant at 10 Gitz while he's been here. And the, the two of them together, I think when they get their combination right, they'll, they'll, they'll make a, a lot of inroads next year. They're, they're still, I think, just trying to get their style of play together. Well, Morgan, the other thing is... Uh near the stoop where the final we played for the Amelin Cup Challenge, uh, which unfortunately now you won't be part of, is the uh, Heineken Cup on May 19. And it's between two island teams in Ulster and Leinster. You know, obviously the Michael Checker work that was done early and uh, they've had uh, so much success at uh, Heineken Cup level. In fact, Ireland have really dominated the Heineken Cup in the last 10 years. Uh, at least one Irish team will win. That's a good uh, rap for Irish rugby. They just need to be able to do it with the national team. But it's hard to translate that given the mix of players, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's a, f a few reasons for that. One, yeah, I don't want to take away how hard it is to go so well in Heineken year in, year out. Leinster uh, have an opportunity to go back-to-back, -back, which is an unbelievably hard thing to do. Uh, but you look at the Irish rugby and the way it's set up, they only have the four provinces and, and really you could say three Connacht. There's not many of the Irish national players playing for Connacht, so you know they don't have a huge spread of players uh, across their provinces. You look at you know the the Wallaby team comes from what five teams, the, the All Black team more, the South African team more than that, uh, and you look at the French teams come from the top 14. That's 14. The, the, the English Premiership, their players are, are more evenly spread again, much like the top 14. So there's there's less spreading of players across it. Also, that the Magnus League that the, the Irish province is playing is probably nowhere near the standard of Super Rugby, top 14, or probably even English Rugby. So they do have a lot of gimme games and, and, and opportunities to rest players. Also, the fact that the uh, 
that the the Irish rugby centrally contract the players means that they can enforce uh, rest periods and things like that. So the Irish players are, are very well taken care of in terms of their loading and things like that. Where we talked about, I think the last time we spoke about uh, some of the players in our team who, who go away to England or Italy to play for their, their country and then are obliged to come back and play for their club because the clubs and, and the national teams are often in, in, in very much in conflict. They don't have that problem in Ireland. So those things do set them up. But in saying that, Leinster are a formidable team. They do well in any competition they play, both in the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere. And coming out of what, what people over here are talking about is the strongest semi-final, the leinster Claremont semi-final has been seen as much stronger than the Ulster-Edinburgh semi-final. Leinster are expected to go back-to-back in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, some thrilling stuff. I know a lot of our Irish uh, listeners and viewers had made the trip down to Bordeaux for that. Uh, 19 points to 15, Leinster getting up. And uh, in the other semi, it was 22-19, uh, Ulster over Edinburgh. So, Morgan, uh, this would have to say to any sort of observer that uh, Leinster should win this game. But when it's a one-off match like this, anything can happen. Yeah, Ulster have been very disciplined. You know, they went to uh, they went to Munster and knocked Munster off in a quarter final, which was a huge win. Uh, and then they played to their systems and got the job done against Edinburgh. I think they they, they rely very much on Ruan Pinar at nine. I can see Leinster putting a lot of pressure on him. You know, he's their big player. Um, and I think Leinster's just got too much firepower, too much confidence, and also a lot more experience in big games. And you can't. You can't underestimate that fact. As you said, anything can happen on the day, but they will go in overwhelming favourites. Uh, Morgan, I saw a little note there in regard to French rugby that Mike Tyndall could be heading his way across the channel if things don't work out with Gloucester. Um, would that surprise you? Oh, yes and no. I think the, the lure of the lifestyle and, and something different and even to get out of the little bubble of where he is in Gloucester and even in England, obviously with a high-profile marriage and wife and, and also being a former England captain and even the way the World Cup ended, I can see how attractive it would be for him to get away. I know I had a quick chat to Gitz and a beer with Gitz after the game and he's loving life. Him and his wife Bianca have had a little baby over here. They've, they've just uh, enjoyed being away from the, you know, the high-paced pressure cooker of super rugby into test football all year round and I uh, know you know they don't have those long haul trips away those three weeks in South Africa They're, if you go and play away it's just overnight or even sometimes you go straight home after the game so I can see the, the appeal for, for people especially as they start to settle down and have families and that but the lifestyle here can be good obviously rugby's still hard and high level but you do get blocks of time away and, and, and you're just away from the, the pressure cooker sometimes of the, of the home situation in terms of rugby. Uh, his name's been mentioned in dispatches as coming to start from sale. I'm, I'm not sure where keen anymore. I think we talked to him earlier and more recently Mike Tyndall's been talked about going to Grenoble who was a team who just won the Pro D Deux, the, the second division team that will be coming up next year, the first team to qualify. They won the, the Pro D2. It's first past the post for the first team. And then the other teams play off for the second spot to come up. They're coming up directly, and uh, there's talk of him going there. But the most recent thing that we've heard is that he'll be something of a player backs coach at Gloucester. So um, not much has been said in the past couple of weeks, but that was the last thing that sort of rumour that went around. But obviously rumours aren't worth much. Uh, they certainly aren't, and uh, not until you ink something on paper. And had an extraordinary situation back in here in Australia, Morgan, with uh, Will Genia, rumoured to go to Perth. The deal fell through. Uh, he decided to stay with Queensland over the weekend. Uh, lots of speculation in the back room about what happened there. But in the end, uh, there was also talk that he was attracted to Perth because Michael Checker was on his way there as coach after this season uh, because Richard Graham is now moving poached to Queensland. Uh, every time something happens in a coaching job, Michael Checker's linked to it. Uh, he must be getting sick of it, Morgan, as your coach there. Yeah, I don't think he's too impressed by it. I think uh, also you have to remember too that on the other side over here, you know, uh, French presidents and French rugby clubs uh, really always have itchy trigger fingers and, and they don't really like seeing things like that. The coach that they have under contract or they're about to extend or have extended being talked about in dispatches as going back to Australia. So the problem with those sorts of articles is it makes the people over here nervous as well, I'm sure. Uh, our president wouldn't be too happy with seeing his his head coach being talked about in dispatches of heading back there. As I understand it, Michael has agreed to another year here at Stade Francais next year. I think he's exercising his... He had a two-year-plus-one option in his contract. I believe that he's uh, he's exercising that, that last year in his contract, and I'm 
assuming I'm almost unequivocally saying that he's staying here at start from say next year. Um, some of the, the reporters back there might know something different to me, but that's the way we're working here. And I've seen no signs that anything different will be happening. All right, so that's um, technically what you believe. What do you believe in your gut? Oh, he won't be going anywhere. My gut, he's not going anywhere. I, I, from what I've seen, he's very comfortable. His family's very happy here. Uh, I think he's got big plans. He's worked very hard to try and get the, the system that worked for him at Leinster. He's trying to put that in place here. And when you saw, when you look at Leinster, and they're, they're quite similar to Stade Francais, you know, the the big the big town team. Even I think we've talked about it before. They're quite similar to a Waratahs set up to people with a to to take a point of reference. The the team from the main city, the team that are underperformed for years. And Michael went there and he turned the place around. You can see he's left a quite a, not a bad legacy behind when he left as well. And I think that's his plan here. And uh, I don't think he'll want to leave Stade Francais with that unfinished business. I think the challenge then, uh, eventually down the track, if he decides to come back, Morgan is possibly the Waratahs down the track because that is the the monster that has to be tamed. And uh, as Michael Checker doesn't need to be a career coach, it's certainly a challenge he would be up for, and it'd be great to see actually. But uh, um, that might be the challenge down the track. I think that is the challenge for any coach you know, to be a head coach. Uh... <clears throat> Excuse me. To be a head coach, you do have to have some sort of ego, that sort of thing, and uh, and belief in your abilities, and uh, that's probably the big, that's the big dragon that needs to be slain. Someone needs to take the Waratahs to a premiership. Uh, you know, if the, if the right situation came up, I know him and his wife Stephanie are both from Sydney, obviously, so that would make life a bit easier. Uh, I just think for him, the challenge is is the big thing, and and that's the, definitely the challenge that everyone's looking at the Waratahs job. All right, Morgan. Now, the other thing is that um, you uh, probably need to come back and play a few games for Randwick because the mighty Wicks are struggling a bit at the start of the shoot shield. That's all right, mate. It's only early. <laughs> Save the run for late. Oh, there's no... Mate, you don't win the Melbourne Cup in uh, in May, do you? No, no. And you have won the Melbourne Cup, the first four, oh, as I recall. I wish. I wish <laughs> I owned the winner. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, uh, thanks for joining us again. Uh, commiserations of the weekend, uh, but uh, pretty good effort. Uh, and I guess in the end, the, the top 14 has to be your priority now. Yeah, it is. Obviously, being the challenger, not the Heineken Cup, um, it, it well and truly is is the be-all and end-all. For us, it would have been nice to be able to keep going and have that one-off shot in London later on. But for us, making the finals of the top 14 is, is all-encompassing. Unfortunately, we had to sacrifice our approach to that game, but you know that's the way it goes. And hopefully, we'll beat racing this week and make our way to the finals and 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 uh, worry a few other teams around. I think you know there's a few teams that would not like to play us in the finals, but we're just going to make sure that we're there and present ourselves well. Uh, if we can qualify for the Heineken Cup next year, that will you know be a different story because the Heineken Cup, as we'll see when Leinster play Ulster, is a big big thing over here. All right, Morgan, Morgan Turanui, thanks for your time tonight. Pleasure, mate. So there he is, Morgan Turanui, joining us from Paris tonight, and uh, it's always a pleasure to have his time. Very valuable there in Paris. And, of course, Rugger Matrix, as I said, is brought to you by Strike. Go to strike.com.au for your mobile phone, in-car kit, Bluetooth devices, reversing cameras, you name it. Go to strike.com.au, enter the code Rugger Matrix, and the lads will give you 10% off. Always looking for a deal is my next guest, and he joins me from Melbourne tonight. Here he is, Adam Fryer. And uh, you're looking resplendent there in your Rabo Direct Cougar Rebels outfit. G'day, Adam. Nice plug there, Juro, <laughs> for your obvious sponsors and mine. Just got home from training. Uh, and as always, thrilled to be on Rugger Matrix. Well, finally great to have you. But you went beyond the call of duty, downloaded the latest Skype. So you're coming in loud and clear and uh, Adam, mate, there's so much to talk about in the Super Rugby. We've just covered everything off in the north. But uh, firstly, I just noticed on Betfair that uh, you can get for your game against the Bulls this weekend. I think the draw is as much as your victory, about $2.12. <laughs> That's not fair, mate. And I'll tell you what, we don't mind that. I think we've started favourites three times and we've lost two of those. So definitely the underdog tag for us suits us. Uh, but this Bulls side, they were written off at the start of the year and there seemed to be probably them and the Stormers, the best South African sides uh, to come out of that conference. We, uh, we need to put in a, a very big performance this weekend and uh, certainly with the news 
of late losing one of our five eights. Uh, will it do us harm or good? Time will tell. All right, let's uh, take care of it straight away. You raised it. Danny Cipriani and the Melbourne Rebels, Rebels have parted ways. Some people say he was shown the door. Um, but in the end, when you've got a contract like that, you have to decide together that you're going to part ways. Disappointing, I guess, because he came to Australia with such high hopes. Wonderful player, brilliantly talented. But, Adam, um, what, what's happened there? Why, why the parting of the ways mid-season? Look, there's a number of factors, and we, we don't know the full story. And me even being his teammate, I don't know the full story. But what I do know, his contract was up. Uh, I believe, on the 1st of August. So they've parted ways, but I don't think it's a, a severe payout. And even if they've met sort of halfway, I don't think it's a huge sort of financial compensation for the Rebels to pay him out or if he stayed, if it was going to be a massive gain. But I, I, I echo your thoughts there. I, I think it is disappointing for Danny. And if, if he had his time again, would he have done things differently? I, I don't know. But coming to Australia, there was such big hype on, on Danny uh, and he hasn't really delivered. He'd probably be the first person to tell you there. But uh, obviously now looking to play for England. And the way Kirtley played in that second half against uh, his old team, the New South Wales Waratahs, he just looked brilliant at 10. And the writing was on the wall then that Damien Hill was going to use KB for the rest of the year at 5'8". And, you know, Danny, can he play uh, fullback potentially? Can he come off the bench and provide an impact? Of course. But... Uh, Danny expressed interest you know, throughout the year and has always been passionate about playing for England again. And uh, I think the agreement was between Hilly and that being our coach, Damien Hill, and Danny was to, to give himself every chance to be part of that England uh, squad as soon as possible. And getting over to Sale now is probably the best thing for Danny. But look, I'm a rugby fan and uh, I love Super Rugby. I think it's the best competition in the world. And to have a player like Danny Cipriani come here uh, was was very exciting and it was exciting to play with him but uh, you know the the results don't lie that you know Danny has been our highest point scorer but we haven't fired and um, I feel sorry for him in a lot of ways because he was very emotional addressing the team and I think that he really was uh, close to a lot of us and uh, now he has to part ways but I wish him all the best and I hopefully everything works out for him because uh, extremely talented and if uh, if if it comes together for him, uh, look out Wallabies because he'll be cutting around in a in a white jersey in the near distant future. Who knows? Adam, uh, please don't take this the wrong way, but was that departure a genuine bit of emotion from Danny? It could be, mate. And uh, not after that game against New South Wales. I believe our CEO, Steve Boland, was in talks with Danny as soon as he made it clear that he'd be playing for sale as of next year. Um, so... You know, I, th I think there have been some whispers in the background and it had nothing to do with what his behaviour has been like this year. And in fact, last year he had a bit of baggage and he was in the press for all the wrong reasons. This year he has pulled it together. He's been doing the right thing off the park. Um, and he's been training quite well. And even in the off-season during the trials, he was, he was firing and looking really good. Uh, and lost his way a little bit there, but definitely came back uh, with his great uh, dance moves and try against the Sharks. So... <laughs> Look, and it, 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 don't take this the wrong way, Jura. I think there's plenty of perceptions out there about Danny that are false in saying that he uh, he's a bit of a spoiled brat and doesn't do anything. During the off-season, he certainly worked hard, but at the, it, this has come to a point now where he's he's sort of looking at, maybe he's looking at himself and being selfish and, and looking at that England jersey, but also on the other side, he's, he's made it clear and with his teammates and with the club you know, that he wants to step aside and let someone else take the position because they want to groom him. So it's at the end of the day, mate, it's a huge shame because I would love to have seen Danny Cipriani playing for the Rebels, maybe playing for a final spot, not in the finals, but in an opportunity to play finals footy with Danny firing with uh, the back line we've got. That would have been great to see. Now we can't see it. All right, well answered. So on to Kirtley Beal. I spoke to Kirtley. He was on... Uh... The Barefoot Sports Show, actually, on NITV last week with us, and uh, it was great to see him there. Got a really emotional to him, and he thought about his grandfather and uh, the man that really inspired him to be the player he is today. But one of the questions I had to ask him, given that uh, he was such a brilliant player in 08 and played in the final, Adam, against the Crusaders for the Waratahs, was 10. And I still believe if he didn't leave the field injured, then the Waratahs would have won. 
their first Super Rugby title. I absolutely believe that. So, you know, that was 08. You know, four years later, and we're talking about whether or not he can play 5'8". He can play 5'8". There is no problem with it. Just give him the responsibility, like Quade Cooper has with Queensland. He's given the responsibility and he's excelled at 10. Let Curtley run the game. I mean, what do you feel about it? Mate, you're spot on, Bronk. And uh, I played in that game back in 2008. And I'm sitting on the bench uh, at the time and I'm thinking, we are the real deal here. We can, we can win this. And you know when you're sitting on the bench and you see a Crusaders side? I'll, I'll use the Crusaders as an example, but it's any side, but the Crusaders specifically because they are the best team in the history of Super Rugby. I genuinely sometimes sit there and go, we've no chance against Richie McCaw and these guys. But that night, we've got this game. And I got goosebumps down while I'm talking about it. But as soon as KB went down, we just completely fell apart. And it was a huge shame because uh, KB was 10 and he was firing. And we we talk about Kirtley as, um, as a fullback. The problem with Kirtley was, or is, that he played so well when he went to fullback. And then everyone thinks automatically that he's stereotyped in that position. I, I love seeing him playing at 10. And I know Phil War at the time, who was the captain, he saw him as a 10 as well. But which the thing that I, I like about Kirtley, and we cross paths today uh, in the spa room of all places. <laughs> really? <laughs> For the play. Roman baths down there in <laughs> Melbourne. No, but what I, what I will say to him, and I even said to him then, I said, it, it's about time he starts thinking about leadership. And he... It took him a bit by surprise, and I, I firmly believe he's a leader by example. And um, sometimes he doesn't do everything perfectly off the field, and he'd probably be the first person to admit it. But as he's getting older and wiser, you know, he, he's definitely getting more mature. And I love a 5'8", the quarterback style. Like, come with me. I've got this, guys. And, and I currently has that. He, he's got that persona that if the game's on the line, get him the ball and he'll get you out of trouble. He leads by example, and uh, you know, it's only a matter of time where he... he I'm not even saying he's going to be captain of Australia or the Rebels, but put him in that leadership role, and he'll, he'll blossom. And I don't want to put pressure on him. I didn't want to put pressure on him. He's, he said some things this week that have indicated to me that he's really thinking about this team and putting the team first. And you know, I was really happy to hear that. But uh, I agree, mate. KB in a number 10 shirt would be very good for Australian rugby, not just the Rebels. So maybe there's a positive here if you can look at it uh, for the Rebels in the way that you're going to have a playmaker who could be around for a number of years to come because, you know, you can't just rely on guys like James O'Connor as well. Well, yeah, James, who's got a a bleeding liver of of all things, and um, if you played the game 20 years ago, I'm sure every uh, Australian player may have had a bleeding liver. Uh, That was uh, due to after the game, of course, yeah. Yeah, of course. And and that's a shame for Raps, because I thought he was fitting in pretty well. Uh, The other person we haven't mentioned here is Jimmy Hilgendorf, who we now call Stephen Bradbury, because he was fourth in line. uh, Oh, come on, that's not fair. (laughs) a gold medal and a starting shirt so he's another player which I think has got an immense talent and we've also got um, Julian Huxley who can play 10 and don't be surprised to ever see Lloyd Johansson who's usually a 12 he's a pretty uh, pretty handy carrier of the ball if you ever want to play a, a type of game plan like that uh, he might even be in the 10 shirt but you know, James to come back in the squad will be great and let's hope uh, that he will come back and potentially play 12 with KB at 10 and you've got Mark Gerrard playing 15. We've got the players, Bronk. We just can't seem to get them all healthy and all yeah. on the park at the same time. I think the thing about fullback is that uh, for a long time, fullback was a pretty, uh, I guess, stereotypical position. But, you know, in the last 10 years, guys like Stephen Larkham showed that the fullback can go into 10 and vice versa. And that can happen uh, quite readily for Kirtley. But I just think that uh, over the last period of time, that maybe the, the little chip kicks come in, a certain way of him playing the game has sort of taken away from his versatility. And that's why I'd like to see him playing more at the, um, at, at the tackle because uh, it really sharpens your game up, doesn't it, when you've got you've to use the ball uh, with no space to move in. Yeah, and that's, that's, a, that's a fair point. But you look at the whole back line. Look, let's look at the Wallaby back line from uh, the World Cup. Take Quade Cooper out of that. Almost that entire back line um, you know, could play a variety of positions. And we look over the weekend, Beric Barnes, who started at 10, 
Uh, he was sometimes attacking at fullback, and uh, you saw him back there a lot of the times. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, and even Harris, Mikey Harris from from the Reds last year, who fills in at ten now, he's a qualified fullback as well. So, you certainly need to be able to adapt and play both of those. Another one's Harvey from the Western Force, who started at fullback, can play ten. It's sort of one in the same at the moment, and I think uh, it, it's just the way rugby's turning. It, it mm. certainly is in the backline perspective. I mean, look at the forwards now. If you can't play six, lock, and number eight, you're almost overlooked. The only genuine specialist positions are probably hooker, uh, loose air, sorry, tight head prop, and maybe a scavenging seven. The rest of them you can almost put in the same body type and type of physicality and play that they need to have throughout the game. But it's we'll never want to get it like rugby league, but um, the roles aren't as stereotyped as what they were, say, 10 years ago. I think we have to be careful, though, in the game that we, we do reward really good finishes like great wingers. You know, um, one of the great examples, I think, is Scott Stanaforth. You know, he could play in the centres, uh, you know, even closer in if, in a pinch. But, you know, he was one of the great finishers. You know, what's wrong with being a great at your job? And I know that we could have 15 guys sort of doing the same thing. And you alluded to rugby league there. So we, we do have to sort of walk this fine line, Adam, between utilities and really good positional players. Spate's a good example of that at the moment, including Mog. Uh, as well for the Brumbies. They are sensational finishers and uh, there's still a place in the game for these type of players. We tried to start Cooper Vuna uh, in an inside centre for the Rebels last year. He's not an inside centre. He's a genuine finisher. You get him the ball with a try line in sight, he'll be able to score your points. Joe Roth, the same. So even the modern day players, I still think there's a very special place for, for great finishers. And as much as the Waratahs are still going pretty well this year. One player, or two players they certainly miss, is Lockie Turner. We all know what he's done for the Waratahs, and I said straight up that they won't really appreciate him until he's not part of the picture. And this year, he's just sim- he would have been simply terrific because he can finish tries and score points. And add Drew Mitchell, who's also a fantastic finisher from fullback, you know, they're two really big strike weapons. And I, I'm a firm believer that uh, if you're setting up your, your squad, your backline or your team, these are the people you need to sort of find out who you, who you need to get the ball to, to to get the points. They're the most important pe- people in the backline because they're bringing you the tries. It might sound that simple, but a lot of coaches think like that. Who's going to finish these tries off and build from there? Adam, I'm just uh, pulling up the uh, iPad. I've still got the iPad 1, by the way. Can you believe it? Oh, that, don't, that... don't be embarrassed, mate. I've, I've... <laughs> I've still got one too. It doesn't have a camera and that comes in handy. So uh, (laughs) uh, if I look at the table for the Super Rugby uh, competition for 2012, now the Brumbies are on top. That's an amazing thing. And I know you're in a, you know, the battle is still pretty tight. I mean, you're only like, uh, what, just over two bonus point wins away from the top of the table. This comp can change so quickly. So the Bulls game, really important for you. But if I look at the um, other two conferences, the top points there, 39 for the Chiefs and 37 for the Stormers. For Australia, it's 31. So the points uh, haven't been uh, so readily available. But what that means is probably it's a tighter comp. Yeah, look, the competition really... There's been a fair bit of debate, mainly out of New Zealand, saying the Australian conference is the easiest conference and you know whoever gets the leader of the Australian conference has got a sweet ride into the finals. The fact of the matter is that they're the rules and we play by them. And now in, in five years' time, I still th- I think rugby is in a bit of a, not a transition phase, but it's still finding its feet. We've grown from three teams uh, in, say, what was it, in 2004, I think, the, the, the Western Force came in, so it grew 20% overnight. And then again, it's, it's grown the same similar amount when we put the Rebels in. That's a huge drain uh, on, on talent pools, and we're not ever going to get a truly... Uh, national brand of rugby until we do that. They're, the teething of that are potentially that the teams aren't at the top of the competition. Now, that's only for the time being. So there has been a fair bit of debate saying that you know Australian teams aren't firing this competition, but I, I tend to disagree. A lot of the injuries that we've had, it's just unheard of. And you go through the Waratahs, the Reds, um, and even it's, to some extent, the Western Force and Rebels, we've, we've had our toll of, of injuries. But the one team that has been able to put the players on the park, and a lot of no-name players, uh, not now, but they were three months ago, 
are doing exceptionally well. And I think they're led well by Ben Alexander and Steve Moore. And I know Benny Mullen has been captain, but their leadership on front and, and their ball carries have just been outstanding. And Leo Leofano, if he's not in a gold jersey this year, I, I'd be uh, very surprised. He's been scintillating. And then you throw in Mog, who's a, a proud Queen Bianne White, uh, and, and also I spoke about Spate before. And they're a very good side. And I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they will be in the, uh, in the finals in some capacity. And, and hopefully we can get the Reds or the Waratahs in there as well. And if the Rebels can make a, a nuisance of uh, themselves against some of these Kiwis and South African sides, we're all doing Australian rugby a favour. You know? and, and as much as I love to see the Melbourne Rebels make the finals and win it, Will it be this year? Will it be in three years from, from now? I can't answer that. But seeing Australians do well in Super Rugby is what I want to see. Well, if you settle on Curtly, you might uh, you might be halfway there, Hass. Um, looking at the um, the Stormers, for example, being on top and the Bulls, both on 37 points. So you're certainly up against the Bulls, who are a rejuvenated franchise. But I'm so disappointed that the Cheetahs aren't higher up because... Adam, Adam, one of the greatest games of all time you played in, I reckon, uh, down at uh, Amy Park there. And uh, I just think um, they were ripped off again at the weekend against the uh, Highlanders. You know, um, just an extraordinary side. And I, I just love the way they play the game. And they're just not getting the rewards very close to winning a couple of more games. They could have easily been leading the South African Conference. Can you imagine the sight? <laughs> of the buffet after the carnage from the coaching <laughs> of the Cheetahs. They are all massive. Uh, Oz Durant, uh, Nadrotsky, uh, and, you, you know, the, look, I, I love them too, and I've always known that uh, Nadrotsky's been a bit of a, uh, yeah, you know, a bit of a an out-there thinker of, of rugby, and it's certainly come with this Cheetahs style of play. They just attack. They don't care how many points that they bleed or let through. It's all about how many they can get on the scoreboard, but I tell you what, that reserve 5-8 that uh, had the shot there, uh, I think we about five minutes to go, <laughs> it was dead in front uh, to the right post. You're probably two metres away from being 10 out, black dot penalty goal, mm. and shanked it. Yeah. Now, if that if that goes over, the Cheetahs, mate, that, that defines their season. You could just see the coaching box. They were just devastated. But this Highlanders side that they beat, they're... Um, they're, they're, again, the surprise packet in New Zealand, very similar to the ACT Brumbies, mm. basically broke, um, pulled a team of no-names together, and fair enough, they're sitting on top of their conferences, but love the Cheetahs, um, love to have another yeah. crack beating them just quietly. <laughs> well, the other, well, not entirely no-names, now good friend James Haskell is playing with them and decided to lay a few quiet uh, blows into the opposition at the weekend, uh, so he's getting stuck in a Super Rugby, physical WWE style. Uh, mate, he's an absolute monster, isn't he? And I uh, had Good to take bloke. a bit of him. I said, "Who is this bloke? This twenty-five?" <laughs> but he uh, obviously the the reserve jersey didn't fit him. But uh, and I, I, you know, I, I shouldn't say no names, but I, I do know that they had their financial troubles and they were very yeah. struggling to recruit a side. And uh, Andrew Hawes, a, a player that's sort of rejuvenating himself again, but. Gee, Haskell can play, mate. He's an absolute animal. He's almost like the Paul Gowan of this Super Rugby competition. Yeah, 80-minute man. Just amazing stuff. So uh, your game's a big one this weekend. Thoughts on the Crusaders? Uh, they dispatched the Waratahs. Uh, Fruin was outstanding. Great haircut, by the way. And uh, <laughs> they just they just ooze class, don't they? they? They're not the same team as we're used to seeing. But, you know, they've still got class. To beat the Waratahs at home like they did was pretty good. And I've got to give the Waratahs credit too, Adam. Um, you know, many, many players injured, and they still uh, came up with a wonderful effort there. Look, this might sound very cheesy and cliche here, Bronk, but I put that the real winner on that day was rugby. It was a daytime game. They had over 30,000. There tight... it is, daytime game. Yeah, I know, but it was a tight contest. There was tries scored. Uh, there was bad haircuts. There were good haircuts. Um, well, what know, about the, Curdley's, by the way? The whole the whole environment that the Sydney Football Stadium can cre create. And I've played one daytime game there for Super Rugby, and we almost filled it, and that was five years ago. And then I've played some club rugby grand finals there as well. 
there, there's an argument to say that there's no better stadium in the world during the day. And you look at all the NRL grand finals they play during the day with Tina Turner on the stage with Jimmy. Like it just it has that atmosphere of being a really you know, a great rugby or a great entertaining ground during the day. And, you know, although the score line didn't work in the favour of the Waratahs, I still don't think that this Crusaders side deserves to be favourite. I still think they are at $3.50. I don't see them up there as the pinnacle and the team to beat at the moment. Richie McCaw, he looked, didn't look overweight, but he looked massive when he came on the field. I just, I don't know, it's just something about them that just doesn't doesn't scare me as, as much as they did in the past. But, I say to Waratah fans, and I've said this since day one, just bite your time. This side, this Waratah side, can still potentially make the finals, and I know they're all thinking that. Uh, and uh, you get someone like Dan Vickerman back, and you know a lot of players that can, you know, get, get that hard edge to that forward pack. I really hope they do well, and I hope they uh, can make the finals somehow. But gee, it would have been nice for them to win that game. They could really springboard themselves through the competition. It would have put a dent into the, the Crusaders as well because over eight years or eight seasons, Waratahs have struggled to, to beat them. And, you know, those sort of stats, the longer they go, the harder they are to break. I remember being there, 2004. Uh, very sunny, uh, uh, well, what was it called then? The stadium in Christchurch. But uh, I don't think it was AMI Stadium back then. Jade Stadium, I think. Jade, it was. Jade Stadium, yeah, and uh, it was uh, a wonderful afternoon. Tim Donnelly at five eight, Matt Rogers playing, Lottie Dickiri, yeah, Nathan good, Gray. It was one. There was oh, that's the best thing about Tim Donnelly. I used to go sprinting towards Tim Donnelly every time there was a photo after the game because I knew I'd be towering over him. He's the only person in this world I can do that to. Oh dear, some great players have played for the Waratahs. So uh, that is uh, where Super Rugby is at the moment. But Adam, I wanted to mention before you go, and it's been great to talk to you about all things rugby, is the state of the media in the game. Now, you produce a really thoughtful column about rugby falling behind other codes, other sports in terms of access, getting the, the players out there, getting the coaches out there, not just the ones that are playing, but really intelligent debate uh, programs and websites, etc., getting it out there and making the game of accessible so we can then, you know, own the marketplace. Now, I think rugby's gone backwards, and I totally agree with you. I retweeted your story, and it got some good traction in the Northern Hemisphere as well. So uh, rugby, when it's trying to compete for space here, is really restricting the access to the players and the coaches, and we need to open it up. We need to have them out there more than ever to ensure that the game can compete with these big codes. Because I can tell you now that if you want to interview someone in the NFL, for example, they have to come back to you within 48 hours and say, okay, here's your interview. And it doesn't matter who you are. This is the NFL. So what is rugby doing lagging behind a massive organization like that? Yeah, it's it's a debate that works on both tangents here at the moment because you speak to anyone on the street and ask them about rugby and, and where it's placed in the market's space, they'll go, it needs to go free to wear. I don't disagree with that. I think it's it certainly does. But Hold on. Can I, can I just jump in there? Because having worked at uh, all these networks and having been part of the free-to-wear product of Super Rugby, it didn't rate well enough uh, for the mass market. And so it have to it would have to be a loss maker for say Channel Seven, which did show it free to wear early, early on, and then it was on delay, and then a further on delay, and then no one watched it, and it didn't make sense to show it on free to wear. Yeah. It's making money because of it's on Fox Sports, and we all agree with that. But yeah, it's yeah. not it's not as simple as just saying put it on free to wear. It doesn't work like that. You didn't let me finish my Sorry, answer. mate. I just had to get in there because it's the first thing people say in rugby who don't actually um, uh, think about it in the term of all the other sports. Okay. So the, the plan was at one stage, uh, I'm led to believe, is that we needed to get a free-to-wear component of rugby uh, to, say, a Channel 7, 10 or 9. I'm not sure which the station was. And you go with that parcel to Foxtel and say, look, Fox, um, great here's your TV deal, here's your TV rights, but we want to put one game on free-to-wear. Fox then comes back to you and says, well, the best thing for us is that we get exclusive use to rugby, and that's that's a beautiful thing for, for Foxtel and subscribers. You then don't make that exclusive, and then you say, we have got all the games bar one. You know, you're not going to... 
still get 80% of your, your coin or your market from, from, the, from the Fox and just 20% for that free-to-wear game. They don't want to buy it anymore for, that, for Rovers because it's not exclusive and they'll probably pay 30%. Yeah, like, so they're not going to lose that exclusive rights and give up one game because then you can't get the, the Rovers, the tote that we get for, for, uh, for Super Rugby on, of course, Foxtel. But, but and this is the thing, I, I still believe that there is a place in the free-to-wear market for a rugby uh, commentator style of, uh, of show. Um, you know, not to say that it needs to be in the same time uh, existence of the AFL and the, the NRL footy show, but mate, the NR, the AFL footy show, it doesn't even show any AFL footage. It doesn't show any AFL footage. So you, there's no one kicking a ball on the show. Mm. All it is is debate about the game. And that's where I think that rugby needs to step up and have well, a Well, that's part. what we're doing here. I mean, we've got audiences and listeners all over the world and we, we're not pretending we're going to show the game because we, we want to talk about the game because that's what people want to do. Yeah, you don't want to. Mate, we don't want to show a highlights package. I think that's great. We put a highlights package on for Channel Nine at midnight and on a Tuesday or wherever it was, and you know that's that's not what we're after. And I think that with that, and that's a separate thing. And I've got to have trust in the administrators of the game and the and the people of of, of the ARU being said that they've got a strategic plan for something like that to happen. You know, I'm confident that is going going down. But on the other side of the coin, Bronk is that we can't ever, as players and coaches, say you know, no to an interview. We can't say, no, it's the night before a game, you know, I, I want to get to bed early or I can't go in a studio and do that, can I do it over the phone? It's, it's a simple no. You need to be able to um, be upfront and you need to be honest and you, you need to lose the program dances, not to go out there and start swearing and carrying on and, and the, the Robbie Farris sort of style of interview. You know, although it did have some merit, that's not what I'm asking. I'm just saying... Lose the program dances, uh, and let's let's really start talking about rugby in the right manner. And uh, if it takes you and Mackenzie, who's got one of the best sporting minds in the country, on the couch uh, talking to Michael Foley with someone in the middle, that for me is entertaining, not just the game. Ange Postacoglu from the A League, he's on offsiders. He's always free to do an interview, and look at his brand. Look what he's done for the A League. It, it, it's huge what he's done. So I think there's room for that. And, you know, having the Quade Cooper potentially doing a quick interview just before kickoff. Now, Peyton Manning can do a... He's about to take the field for the Super Bowl. One minute before he's going to the Super <laughs> yeah, Bowl. it's amazing. Microphone in his hand, asking questions and having a couple of, of quotes before he takes the field to win the Super Bowl. You know, we're doing the right thing. We're trying to interview them running off the field at halftime. I'm not getting anything out of that. But hmm. I'd love to know what's going through the, the young mind of Quade Cooper, James O'Connor... Or even someone like Nathan Sharp, who's about to take the field for in front of his Force mm. fans for the very last time. That that to me resonates, and I think that I don't have all the answers here, mate. All I'm saying is, if they're going to do a, a rugby show or a rugby uh, broadcast commentary sort of style thing with a, a top journalist, now I even talk about journalists as well. Mark Robson's on AFL 360, fantastic. Mm. Paul Kemp gets on NRL on Fox. He also has got a, a very good rugby league mind, but sporting mind. He's providing comment and he's sparking debate and it, it just goes from there. And what have we got at the moment? We've got Rugger Matrix and Casho's on there. He's an editor of a magazine. And you've got yourself with a journalistic background. I want more and um, yeah. not afraid of it. And, that, and that's why things like the Raw, Green and Gold Rugby, these sorts of sites have sprung up. Uh, yeah. For club rugby, even the coverage of the game, like clubrugbytv.com.au has just come up as well. Look, the people are speaking at them. The people, people like us are out there producing content because it's not being done in the mainstream to our yeah. satisfaction. And I'm not yeah. talking about just general coverage, but meaty sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, look at look. And as much as the the rugby club provides us with an hour each week about a, a game that's played on three different levels, club, Super Rugby, and Wallaby Rugby, we get one show a week. And to their credit, they they've got a limited time span and I don't know how it rates it mightn't rate very well so they're never going to extend it or put another one on but it does a right actually so it's um oh, I don't know the answer yeah. to that but and then you know we're trying to make it comical we're trying to get the characters out mm. we're, we're having happy segments and funny segments and we try and get into the nitty-gritty things that so it's one hour a week and it's it's not enough and you know as much as we like to think that rugby's a, a white collar sport and we're all joining the rugby club yeah. um you know there's a lot of blue collar people out there that don't have can't afford Fox. Where are they getting their insight from, mate? They're on broadband listening to shows like this. You know, I, 
I, I, that, so that's that argument. There needs to be something done about that. But in saying that, the responsibility comes on to us players and us organisations and coaches to say, right, there's an avenue. Let's give us. Let's do something different. Let's give you the content. Let's give you overs. Let's be a point of difference and let's challenge the status quo on how we can get rugby people talking about rugby. It's quite extraordinary, Adam, because the only time the rugby I'll use Australia as the example because that's what we've attached to. But the only time that rugby ever had the coverage that rugby league and AFL does in Australia was during the 2003 World Cup. And that's when guys who were going out to a nightclub, maybe a strip joint, you never know, in Adelaide, and all of a sudden they're in the rumour columns. It's all pretty harmless stuff. And, uh, and And then all of a sudden... Everyone fell under pressure. What's his scrutiny like? Well, that happens every week in rugby league and AFL. So it's a, it would be a massive change for rugby to reach those sort of heights of scrutiny by the world media. Uh, and it happens, it'll happen probably during the Lions series. You know, you, we'll get to that sort of um, scrutiny. But uh, definitely with a hosted World Cup, that was huge for our players and they certainly weren't used to it. And it was was it some for some of the guys hard to handle. Yeah. You imagine that every day of the week. I'm a little bit confused. Do I have to go? Do I have to go to a strip joint? <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. And that, no, that's no, a, no. I'm watching. I'm watching the Anzac Day test. I'm, this is probably not a not Anzac Day test. Anzac Day AFL Collingwood and Bombers game. What and, a game! <laughs> uh, and, and that's a separate. That, that's a completely different uh, topic to talk about. Ninety thousand people on Anzac Day watching a game of footy. But lead up to the game, I was listening to Rodney Ead from Collingwood and I was listening to Bomber Thompson from Essendon, both around the table talking about tactics of the game. And I was also talking about Dane, hearing about Dane Swan under pressure. Um, all Being the bo- too big. Yeah, but, but this is the thing. All hmm. of a sudden, and I've only been into the AFL for probably around about 12 months. I'm glued. I'm glued to this game and I'm standing up. I'm screaming ball because I've had all this insight during the week and I've I've actually put myself out there on the field, and you get the adrenaline, you get the buzz. But at the moment, like I, I'm, I'm seeing the Waratahs come up against the Reds. They'll, they'll be going to, to SunCorp soon. You know what's so dissimilar about? I know that's probably not a good example using an Anzac game, but a big game. That is a big game up there in uh, in SunCorp. You know, let's you know, let's have maybe. Michael Foley and Ewan McKenzie both on the lounge talking about tactics potentially or what their strategy... You know, you don't get too much out of it. You're not giving too much away. And, and having um, Ben Robinson, fat cat, very entertaining guy with uh, James Horwell, you know, and across the couch. And, like, that that to me. And then you get the build-up and you get people and punters who, who are not rugby fans switching on the TV and going, oh, that that's right. I was watching that during the week. This is going to be a great game. So it doesn't just lead from... You know the, the pre-game show on Fox half an hour before a game to get fired up about a, a contest. It happens three or four days beforehand. I could give my opinion on this, but I'd like to hear yours about what do you think about the amount of players who actually enjoy doing the media stuff. There's certainly guys that uh, don't run from a microphone, but uh, as a general chore, I mean, it's really just talking. And and I used to, I didn't really like to, as the media manager for the various teams I work with, didn't like to load players up with too much spin. It was like, common sense, don't do your teammates in the eye, don't give away the game plan, but just don't hold back when, you, when you're when you being personable with, with someone in the media. Like if you're, like, a great example is Owen Finnegan, and I'll never forget this, Adam, when he played with the, you might have been with the Brumbies back then, <laughs> but when he was the Brumbies, he came, um, he came to uh, Fox Sports on the weekend before playing the Waratahs in the semi-final, and he said, we're going to put 50 points on you blokes. And so that would be the worst thing you could say in a coach's mind before a game. And guess what? They put 50 points, and Justin Harrison even scored a try. Yeah, so yeah. it doesn't put the mocker on you. It's this just words. Yeah, yeah. Look, look. There are. I have to admit, there are some players that enjoy it more than others. I, I certainly enjoy the challenge because I know where rugby can get to, and I'm passionate about my game, no doubt about it. I think Drew Mitchell does it. A fairly good job as well, um, and look, for me, it, a comment from a player. I just want to move away from a media man or a media manager to say, "Mate, this is what you need to say. This is what you need to. These are the the rules this week. This is what you need." Like, 
have faith in the playing group to say the right thing. So trust needs to be there. And we can't, mate, we can't afford to give away these program dances anymore. It's just not going to cut it in this market. And if you're up on stage or if you're getting interviewed and you full credit to the boys, you know, um, we're giving 110% this week or the culture at our club is great, all these one lines you seem to hear all the time, you know that you, you you can you change the channel, or you you know you don't potentially buy a ticket for that uh, for that game, but it comes with trust, mate. And you've got to have uh, you know you've got to have your captain, you've got to have your senior players certainly, and leadership groups all with the right message. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because some coaches and some people don't agree with it. My opinion is that if you want to get rugby to a to a level where it certainly deserves to be, because it's a great game. We need to provide something else. We need to give them something else. And for me, it's it's clear, honest opinion. And it's a different debate. I know I'm going to use other codes here, but Gary Ablett tweeted something the other week about a player and his tactics on the field. Some people say, you know, ludicrous, you know, these kids using Twitter these days. And on the other side, you're saying, thank God, we've got an honest player now. We're not with a programmed answer. So things need to evolve. But, um, you know, the rebels has been it's been pretty hard because um, down here in the, in the market we've uh, we're only a very small fish, but uh, I've always had the the mentality of being honest and um, you know and if you if you love your game you're always going to stick up for it so it's that's where it lies I suppose. All right, Adam. Well, that's the reason we got you on. There's so many uh, interesting things happening in Super Rugby at the moment, and you know. We know we're going to get the right answers from you every single time. How are you well, feeling? Mate. How are you feeling, by the way? Yeah, good, mate. Uh, I'll be on the bench uh, this week, back from a calf injury, thank God. Um, but very excited, mate. It's going to be a great game against the Bulls, and I'm more excited about finding out uh, who Will Genny will be signing with uh, after this weekend. <laughs> what have, uh, uh, well, I didn't even mention that because we talked about it earlier, but I said we would just quickly. What about that? I mean, it wasn't a good look for Australian rugby, was it? I mean, our good mate, Leon McKenzie, Still hasn't returned my call from the weekend. He's under the pump. But it doesn't matter, Link. I spoke to other people who knew what was going on. Imagine, and... how, imagine, imagine his top drawer that's full of chocolates. <laughs> imagine how many wrappers there'd be on the floor. Oh, right. You can't see me, but I'm smashing my mouth right now. So um, it is... Uh... What Link does when he gets stressed, big mate. He's, uh, mate, he's lost a lot of weight, Ewan. But uh, this week, I'm sure the, the chocolate drawer would be uh, getting an absolute pacing. But look, the Will Gennier situation, Bronk, was... For me, an absolute debacle uh, and very disappointing, uh, purely because this is probably another show to talk about. Will Gennier goes west. You know, I, I, will you fill the the void of Will Gennier at Queensland with that quality of the best player in the world? Not as much. You'd probably get eighty or ninety percent of that player. But what Will Gennier would have done for rugby nationally if he went to the Western Force, and if the Western Force really started recruiting on the back of David Pocock, Will Gennier being at the same club, you almost, pardon the pun, the force starts to become a force and then you get, you know, you get Australian rugby very strong and I've always said diluting the rugby coil needs to happen and it will hurt for the next little short term but in the long term, you know, and 10 years from now, that's going to be a, a positive thing but Big Willie's decided to stay with the Reds and you would love to be a fly on the wall in some of those meetings in the, in the 11th hour on what happened. I feel sorry for Tim Horan, who got some pretty good mail, and he's actually copped a pacing and backlash of what he said and what he knew. Well, he was right, wasn't he? Well, he was right, and there are some people in some circles even suggesting that Tim, um, you know, he knew about it for a while and it was a, a strategy to, to potentially get Will to stay. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. That has I, been speculated about. Yeah, but I, mate, Tim's a great guy, and Tim, uh, Tim's doing the right thing. He's He was a player. He's wearing his broadcasting hat, and he got that mail, and he said it. But um, at the end of the day, mate, he's staying in Australia. Well, he could be because he gets his ARU top-up now negotiating. If that doesn't go well, guess what happens? He's going to start talking to overseas clubs. So watch this space. It's not over yet, but if he does stay in Australia, he'll stay with the Reds. And uh, well done, Queensland Rugby. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? It's the whole, you know, being involved with Rupa as you are, the Rugby Union Players Association. You know, you're really sort of trying to sort out a new agreement and get do the right things by the players. So just to make it clear to the public who may not be aware, it's all back to front now. It used to be you'd sort out your deal with the Australian Rugby Union and you'd sort out what state you were going to go to. Now you've got to sort out your state agreement and then go to the ARU. 
So potentially that saves the AAU money. Well, mate, uh, probably the next show, that's maybe something we need to talk about. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you don't want to get started, do you, Has? go forever. But uh, sure, the, the contracting protocols of Australian rugby have, um, have been changing a lot in the last sort of six months. But as I said, and, and not really answering your question, is uh, Will Genia, if we keep him in a Wallaby jersey for the next four years, we'll go very close to winning that World Cup. Well, certainly. It's too early for him to go to Japan, isn't it, Adam? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, mate. Well, thanks for joining us tonight. Looking resplendent in that uh, Rabo Direct Cougar Melbourne Rebels outfit. I actually think you did a pretty good job with the uh, with the outfit. Which one? The, the kit yeah, with the five stars. It looks good. I've always said uh, my dad would be proud to say this, to play for the red, white and blue, uh, that being <laughs> the Roosters, but I'm playing it for uh, for another state. But, uh, yeah, it's not bad, is it? Go the Roosters. <laughs> go, go, the the, go the Chooks. What a what an Anzac Day game, poor fellas. Exactly. Oh dear. All right, Listen, mate. Hopefully we can get the Bulls, mate. It's just as entertaining this weekend. We're we're pretty pumped, and we all know that this win will catapult us up for the next four rounds, and we're treated as a four week block. So, all Rebels fans out there, and all rugby fans, stick with us. We're going all right. All right, Adam. Adam Fryer joining us from the Melbourne Rebels playing this week. Cheerio, my friend. Love the video stuff too, bro. <laughs> I hope you can get a piece of my Devon. No, oh dear. I might yes. have to pixelate that out later on. <laughs> no, no, sure. Talk All soon. Right. All right, Thanks. mate. There he is, Adam Fry, joining us from Melbourne tonight. So thanks very much for uh, tuning in. I did say uh, Mark Cashman was going to join us. He's gone missing. He was catching the ferry home tonight. So he might be in the drink somewhere. All right, that is the end of episode 147 of Rugger Matrix International. Don't forget, Rugger Matrix Club Rugby and Rugger Matrix America. And very soon we'll have our Rugger Matrix Women's Program. They'll have a better name than that, I can assure you. But in the meantime, check out our sponsors, strike.com.au. Enter the code Rugger Matrix. You'll get 10% off. Look out for that one. Until next week, enjoy your rugby and support your team.